Good morning. It's a, it's a privilege. But you know what is a privilege? Is to be in a community that recognizes the presence of God in a moment. And, and we have that here. You know, there was a, there's a, I was reading the story of a guy walked into a, a subway in, in New York, in, in actually Washington, D.C., and he pulled out a violin and, and he began to play the violin. And he played for about 45 minutes. He played five pieces um, from uh, Bach. And in that time, he, he collected, he was given $32. What is so interesting is the, the people that paid him the most attention were the little children. And every little child that wanted to stop, there was a particular three-year-old boy who was mesmerized by what was going on, and he wanted to stay and watch, and his mother kept shooing him on and moving him on, and it was the little children that recognized the moment. You see, what nobody knew was this guy who was playing on the violin had played two days before in Boston, and the average ticket was just under 2,000 rand to go and listen to him. The violin he was playing on was worth 3.2 million US dollars. And the pieces that he was playing were the most intricate and difficult pieces to play on the violin that were ever composed by Bach. And nobody recognized it. But I feel like we live in a house where we are like the little children. And don't let people rush you on from precious, precious moments where we can encounter the king because we have a schedule or because we, this is, we adults and this is not what we do and we've got more important things to get to in previous arrangements. So I just want to appreciate the worship team, every worship team in this house and say, linger in the moments. It's precious. It's absolutely precious. Yeah, so, so we're right in the middle of a series on fruitfulness, I'm led to believe. I haven't really uh, listened to much, and I've been meaning to catch up, but it's just been a little bit of a, a busy season. I did listen to Jan, and um, what a gift she is, eh? Yeah. Hey? yeah, oh, there she is. Come on, let's give it up for Jan. Yeah. It's just really cool that I'm not directly after her so you can't compare me to Jan, you know. Hopefully there's a couple guys in before who sort of lowered the standard. So I, I don't know who was last week. I apologize if that was you. Anyway, so we're on this series of fruitfulness. And I suppose if you're going to preach on fruitfulness, you've got to do what every good preacher does and goes to John 15. I hope everybody else has gone to John 15. If you haven't, it's okay. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And if you listen to Jan, that's a very powerful thing. He lifts the branch up that bears no fruit. 
while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. You know, I told a story a while ago, um, probably about a year ago. I'm, I'm very bad with, with, with times and that. We, we arrived home to our um, garden refuse. We had a big pile of garden refuse on the side of the house, you know, all the trees and the branches. We live in Hillcrest, and the problem with Hillcrest is things just grow. You know, you, you don't have the problem of trying to get things to grow. I have the opposite problem, trying to get things not to grow. Just everywhere, just grow, and we chop, pile, chop, and pile. Anyway, we arrived home, and there'd been a spontaneous combustion. And this pile, and I kid you not, was probably about this high and sort of that big, was burning. And Mavis, who works with us, had seen the smoke. She came hearing out the house, and it's right against the house. And the wooden fence was on fire, and the fence was connected to the house, so the fire was going along the fence. So she grabbed the hose pipe and buckets, and thank goodness for Maeve, she managed to kind of put the fire out and put all this thing down. But what was this great big pile of branches and trees and bits and pieces was now flat. And I was kind of like, you know, I am a little slow. I will just say that at the outset. You, know, you get people who are switched on, can read what God is doing. I'm the other one. I'm a little slow. St about two weeks later, Stan was visiting, and, he looked, and as we were like, chatting, I'm showing him this thing. He looks and he says, man, there's something prophetic in this. And I thought, oh, yeah, there might be. <laughs> and, and I was kind of like thinking about it, and I think I shared a little bit about it, but, but the thing was this. What I felt the Spirit of God say to me, he's saying, we're coming into a season where I am going to deal with the things in your life that from the previous seasons and the past seasons that you either haven't dealt with or haven't been able to deal with. Because that's what garden refuse is. That's what, it is the stuff from the previous seasons, the prunings, the cuttings off, is just piling up and piling up and piling up. And so I felt like, and I was like, okay, God, that's really, really cool. And then you kind of, and I think I shared it at church, and, and I think I have prophesied, I've, I've shared a word here about this is a season where there's a grace on us to deal with stuff. And it kind of came from, from that thing of that fire, that spontaneous fire that, that happened, that just set alight. So, so we're in the season where there is a grace in the environment for us to deal with things we haven't ever dealt with. He's coming to prune. He prunes. And he's, the grace is here for the hard things in your life and the things that you haven't been able to deal with and the patterns and all these things that you've struggled with that have just stayed with you and even the things you're not aware of and you're kind of like, hey, I'm just not getting anywhere, what's going on, I'm struggling, I'm not this, I'm not that, whatever it is, there's a grace to deal with this. Because when he releases a word, he always releases the corresponding power to accomplish what that word is. So I want to just share, so I want to give you a testimony in my own life, how that kind of works. Um, 
We had come out of a, a kind of a, a hard church situation eight, nine years ago, seven years ago actually, joined Glenrich seven years, seven years ago, didn't you? And, and walked in this, in, in this, this is a house that brings healing. And just being in this beautiful, and I'm sure Gavin and Candice are there and healing, this is a house of freedom. Where there's freedom, there's always healing. There's always wholeness. And so we've been going on this journey, and um, it's just been amazing, and it's been powerful, and God has done so much things. And my brother was, my brother Cameron, those, I'm sure most of you know that, and you know how brothers have the liberty to say things that nobody else does, you know, that kind of sibling. And you also have the liberty to totally ignore them if you don't want to as well. So it's kind of like you're just both saying things and no one's listening. Anyway, he would say to me quite often, hey, Hilton, there's a, there's a disappointment over your life. There's something you haven't dealt with. And I was like, oh, I won't say what I actually said. But basically, I'm fine. Thank you very much for asking. And this would kind of, this was sort of maybe over a year or two, just maybe said it three or four times. And then one time he kind of said it, I was like, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't think that's true. And I was like, God, is that true? Which is, I think, the first time I ever did that. Up until then, I was like, I'm good, you know. And so I'm thinking about this, and I think, well, let me just check what disappointment means. So I kind of do the thing, haul up the Google, type in disappointment. I'm not even worrying about the Greek at this stage. I just want the English, you know. I don't want to go that far deep. And, and as I go there and I do this thing, it says to deprive of a position, which is not what I thought disappointment meant. Just, it's like the original meaning comes from a French word. You know, as you appoint to a position, you disappoint. You're removed from a position. You deprive of a position. And that's where we get a, the, the, the emotion that we call disappointment is the emotion we feel having been disappointed. Then feel disappointed. And so as I kind of read this, I'm like, I'm assuming by the spirit, I'm back to standard four, which is grade six for those of you that are younger than 35 or 30 or whatever it is. And, I, and it was like, distinctly remember, it was the day before they choose, I was at boarding school in Petersburg. It was a terrible boarding school. We had, we were just moved down from Zimbabwe. Um, we had had trauma. My best friend had just been killed in a, in a, in an attack and he was shot. And so we had buried him and literally two weeks later we moved out and and everything that was planned to happen didn't happen, and we ended up at this boarding school where we knew nobody. We, my parents had absolutely no money. It was just, a, just an awful place to be. And it was the day before they were choosing prefects, and I was kind of like, I remember I was cleaning my shoes, a whole lot of us cleaning our shoes, and I remember thinking, man, I've got a good chance here. I'm in, you know? And, um, and the, the head of the house, the teacher, I won't mention his name, but he's a, just a ghastly man. He was like doing his thing and whatnot. Anyway, the next day, I wasn't chosen for anything. I mean, not even a hall monitor. I don't even think I was asked to clean the toilets, you know. I mean, I think in the whole school, there was like, um, I think there was like five or six boys that didn't get some role of some sort. Well, I was one of those, you know what I mean? It was like, 
we don't even want you anywhere. Thank you very much. And I was, I was like, I was devastated by that. And what happened was I suddenly realized, because I kind of said I was really, I t then the teacher asked me, I said, John, I'm keen to be a prefect. And he knew at that stage that I was getting nothing and he had this evil little smile on his face. You know, but anyway, that's another story. So the thing was, what I learned was that don't trust people in authority with your hopes and dreams. Can you see that, that logical kind of connection? And then I also learned, don't hope too much for, your, for myself. I can hope for others and have faith for others. And this is this little 12-year-old or 30-year-old jar that making these, these, these key moments and key decisions. And so disappointment came along and it put me into a space and in a way of thinking that whenever there was an appointment for me, I wouldn't step into it because I was disappointing myself. Does that make sense? And so, and I mean, hey, that's what it is. But the, what happens is you can't steward the call and the purpose of God in your life because you have a voice that's louder than the call of God. And that voice is, don't you dare, Hilton, you're going to get egg on your face again. Can you, can you hear that? And so you live in obedience to this thing as opposed to the call of God and the love of the Father in your life. And so this happens in a moment and I'm like, oh my gosh, this, all, this is all my realization. And it was like, no, no, I'm not putting up with that. And in that moment, the father prunes me. And he cuts off this branch, this way of thinking. As I gave him permission, he cuts that off and he says, that's not good for you, my boy. This is what I have for you. And so what was painful and was far less painful than living in the space that wasn't for me. And so when he prunes, it's beautiful. He comes and he does it because he has something better for us. And I want to just encourage us in that. Okay, sorry, let's read on a little more. So he prunes. So that there will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When I read that, I was a little bit like, excuse my thinking, that's not true. I can do things. I've done things. It's not that I can do nothing. And I've done a lot of things apart from Jesus. I have. I can, I'm resourceful, 
reasonably clever, maybe a little slow, but I, I can manage and I can do things. I can, I can make things happen. And it got me thinking. So I can do some things. I can do things. But I started putting this together and I realized what Jesus is saying, and I want to say this to some of us, we can all do things. But perhaps the something that we do, which is something in our eyes, is nothing in his eyes apart from him. And so, you know, there's that story where the, the people get to heaven and they say, hey, Jesus, we prophesied in your name. We did this in your name. We did that in your name. They did some things. Jesus says, I didn't know you. It was nothing. And so there is a way of doing things that is a something, and there is a way of doing things that is a nothing. And I question in my own life, what is the some things and what is the nothing? And I think the difference is the connected to the vine. Am I doing, when I do things disconnected, I'm always doing things for my own in some way or another. And you know, if you've been a Christian long enough, you get really clever. Is that you can be doing something purely for yourself, but you can coat it in a language that makes you look like a really good Christian. We all do that. And when you pastor and you connect with people, you can see everybody does that. But at least makes ourselves feel okay because I've got the right words and I'm feeling good about what I'm doing. But actually, it's profoundly selfish. And when we stand in his presence, it's going to be a nothing. So, the difference between the nothings and the somethings is the prunings. Isn't it? being connected and allowing him to prune. And, and, the, and the, it's, it's like that pruning is a, is a very, very powerful, powerful process. Because pruning, contrary to popular opinion, is not a once-off event and then I'm dealt with. You prune every season of growth. Every season, every year, if you want pretty roses on your tree or nice lemons in your lemon bush, and that's why we don't have any lemons on our lemon tree, you need to prune. You need to prune. You need to. Pruning in one sense is a, last, a submitted lifestyle to the Father and allowing Him to come in and do these things. And I say to myself, I wonder in my life if I'd been a little faster and twigged onto this and allowed myself to be pruned a little younger, maybe things would be a little different. But you can't go there. You just got to go where you're at. Okay, so pruning is a not, a, not a, a once-off event. And I want to say, too, if you want to get theological, pruning, what in this scripture talks about pruning, is actually what we would call formation. It's where we're getting formed to become like Jesus. And if you, if you really like higher grade, you're going to kind of call that sanctification. It's all the same thing. It's taking us from who we think we are to he knows who we are and bringing that all into alignment, into that thing. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful process. So that actually wasn't my preach. I'm about to get onto it. And it's got four simple points. 
So what I really want to speak about is the things that hinder us from being pruned. The things that hinder prunings in our lives. Simple, four, I've got four points, and I, I want to say this is that, you know, when you, you take a subject like that, you can, there, there, is, a, there is 150 points that you can pull out, and I, I'm not going to do that. I, I feel like, by the Spirit of God, I just want to go be very specific and very deep and go the, this, 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 and this. And I felt that what, there was a grace today to process and deal with. So the first thing that hinders us, let me just get there, is a lack of trust. A lack of trust. And do you know what another way to say a lack of trust is? You have a wrong view of the Father. Because if you knew him, you would trust him. So if you don't trust him, you don't really know him. Or something's implicated the way you see him. Some experiences, some hurts, some accidents, some things that happened in life has changed the way that you see him. So you're not seeing him for who he really is. You're seeing him for how you experience him. And you know what? We can all, any Christian, we can all like, God is good. He's really good. We can all say that. We all think we know that. And we think we believe that. But it's how we respond when the rubber's hitting the road will tell you what you really, really believe. Where you go to when you're under pressure will tell you what you really, really believe. And, and very often where we go to is not to him, it's to somewhere else. And it shows us what we really, really believe about him. And he's here to bring a new view of who he is to you. He wants to do that. Because when we look at this text, because if you think about it, this pruning text, this text on fruitfulness, is actually quite a hard text. It's about, this is how he... Some people would read this as how he's going to whip us into shape. You know, but if you read it, you actually see the heart of the Father coming through. It's profound. This is what he says. He starts off, the point of this is I want you to be fruitful. He wants us to be fruitful. That's why he's doing this. It's not, he is not pruning us because he has a standard that none of us are, are meeting, so he's going to deal with us. Right. Hi, Hilton. I saw that. Right, off with the finger. Ka-chink. Right, hot, that, right, off with that. He's not this God who's sitting in heaven holy like a headmaster and we've all failed in some way or another and he's looking for our mistakes. He's this Father in heaven who's saying, I'm going to bring fruit to you. If you let me, I will change you so that you can be who I created you to be and fruit can flow. It's a completely different picture. He's wanting us to be fruitful. And not only that, when we are fruitful, that brings glory to the Father. He delights in our fruitfulness. He's not in competition with us. It is to his glory to see you being fully, fully you, to being seeing you walking in the fullness of what you're created to be. That's his delight. And this for me, the final point is the absolute kicker. 
And, and Jesus says, I think it's in verse 11, he says, he just told them all about the pruning, all about fruitfulness, and he says, guys, I've told you this. I'm sharing this with you so that my joy might be in you. And not only that, that your joy would be complete. So that's the heart that he's telling, Jesus is telling his disciples. I want my joy in you, and I want you to be joyful. And you see, so when we get a correct view of God, we, we don't come to him. Some, you know, anyone at school got into trouble? You know, I think I did once or twice. And the problem was, I never quite knew, you know, you get a, in the olden days, you had the intercoms, you know, in every classroom, and, it's, and, and it was just at the end of, um, at the beginning of big break. So they would have on the intercom, and all the people who had been naughty, there'd be this list read out. You've got to come to the, the deputy head's office. And, and you sit there, it's just like, <laughs> and you, you kind of know what you've done, and you're just hoping. And then the one time, I, I didn't know, I, I thought I was, I was in the clear, I hadn't done anything bad. And Will Hilton Mandel, so and so and so and so, come to my office immediately. And I'm like, oh my word. I didn't even know what I'd done. So I, hadn't, I couldn't even prepare a story, you know? So you're standing there and you're like out the office and I'm like, oh, here we go. This is, I don't even know what. Then I, then I was kind of like thinking, then you go through the whole process and think, well, actually, maybe I'm not in trouble. Maybe he wants to thank me for something. Like, no, no, no. It's in trouble. <laughs> anyway, it's that, that, that kind of, God's not like that. He's not trying to catch you out. It's not, you're not in trouble. That's why he sent Jesus. So you don't have trouble. Jesus took your trouble so you don't have trouble. So you can come to him trouble-free, washed in a good space, unafraid of all your things that you've got hidden. You can just come to him and gently trust him and allow him to begin to prune you. So the wrong view. So if you don't trust him, you don't know him. Second thing I think that, that profoundly hinders us, and it's, it's kind of oblique, but you'll, you'll get the connection straight away, is our fear of lack. Scarcity mindset. When you somehow believe that God doesn't have enough to give everyone. And when you live in a, a high poverty culture like South Africa, that's just assaulting you from left, right, and center. And very, very quickly, you, you, you start responding. God doesn't have enough to go around, but not only that, he certainly doesn't have enough for me. And so you step out of trusting mode, and wherever fear is, what comes with fear? Control. So we step out of trusting mode, and we step into control mode, and when you have a, a fear of lack, the very thing that you try, how do you try and control? By accumulation. I'm going to get so I have enough. Because when I have enough, I will be okay. And I'm not scared anymore of not having enough. So what we do, we transfer our affection and our salvation from the provision of the Father to the provision of our hands, our accumulation. And we become steeped in some type of idolatry because our provision, our 
paid off car, paid off house, our two bucks in the bank or our 10,000 in the bank is what gives us peace. When you have that, it profoundly works against the father being able to prune you because nobody is touching that. That's my salvation. And so anything in that area, you can't be pruned and you can't have dealt with. And so, and can I just say, fear of lack has got nothing to do with the amount of money. I know people who are millionaires many times over who carry and walk in a constant fear of lack. And I know people with 20 bucks in their bank account that, that have no fear of lack that Jesus is going to provide for the money he does every single day. So it's not about money, but it's about where we put our salvation. What is the thing giving you peace? Is it your bank account or is it knowing Jesus? Because if it's your bank account and what you have, you will not let that go to allow the process of the Father to work through you to make yourself more fruitful. And he has no problem with a full bank account. He really doesn't. He's not after your bank account. But he will deal with your idolatry. Okay. And you know, when Janine and I were being married about four or five years, we had Kate, beautiful Kate over there. Hello, Catherine. That's why we were late. And she was, she was like less than a year old. And, and we, we had started a business and, and it wasn't going particularly well. It was really tough times, hard. We, di we didn't have medical aid and um, she was sick. So we rustled up some cash, went to the doctor, got an antibiotic. And then the next week was sick again, did the same thing. Third week was sick. By the time the fourth week came, we actually didn't have any money. We had nothing. And, and just to paint a picture, at that time, I had become first name based terms with the guy who used to come cut off the electricity. You know, he'd come and say, hey, Mr. Mandela, I'm back again. Oh, no problem, bro. He'd turn it off, I'd turn it back on again. Cheers, and he said, give me my little slip. And off we'd go, and eventually I'd rustle up enough money and pay. I mean, I'm not proud of that. It was just what happened back then. I met Jesus and it's all okay now. But, <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is it, was, it wasn't like there was money. And I lived in a, we lived in a profound scarcity mindset. But the thing was this, we got to the end of myself. I, I, I didn't have any money, we didn't have any money in the business. We had no one to ask, we didn't know what to do. We had, I remember Janine said, what have we got in the, in the thing to cook? She had some rice. So it was like, okay, we're gonna do some rice. That's it, and this girl, we're just gonna have to pray that she gets better. And I think it was Janine, because she normally comes up with the clever ideas. She said, why don't we pray and ask God? For food. So I was like, is that right? Hey, you did? Yeah. So we, we kind of, anyway, we're praying. Let me saying, hey, God, we, we have nothing at the moment. Help, help. And literally half an hour later, ding dong, and this person arrives with bags and bags of food and roast chicken for lunch, I mean, for supper, cooked. And it was just, and the thing is this when you look back at these, these, these moments, they become the powerful and the beautiful and the precious moments in your life. Not the mountaintops. Because this is, this is the truth. 
everything that is precious and beautiful in your life has come from a valley experience. That's just the way it is. Nothing beautiful comes from the mountain tops you enjoy, and they're beautiful, and I'm not against them, I'm there. Give me, give me the, the spacious places and all those things. But the real beauty and the real depth comes in the valleys. And when we are holding on and not allowing ourselves to go into valleys, we rob ourselves of the beautiful moments in Jesus. We rob ourselves of growth. We rob ourselves of him doing changes in our lives that allow us to grow to the next season. Do not avoid the valleys. Embrace them. Cry in them. Scream in them. Moan at God in them. Do whatever you have to do in them. But in the end, yield in them. And get together and pray and say, Jesus, help. And he helps. And he changes. So don't allow the fear of lack to stop you. The next thing, let me jump along here, is the fear of harm, of personal safety. You know, when we live in a, in a country that is dangerous, I mean, it is dangerous if you have friends and relatives in other countries that kind of, every, anything happens, they'll phone you to say, are you okay, you're still around, you know, that kind of stuff. It's a dangerous country. And very, very, sorry, this is just hold on. Oops, sorry, sorry, I didn't say. And very quickly, we can, just like we do when we listen to our money, we can start listening to our safety very, very quickly. And suddenly, our safety, which we then disguise as wisdom, but it's actually its root is fear. Now, I'm not saying don't be safe. I'm not saying that, but I'm wondering here. Becomes the thing we listen to. And so when the Father wants to take us on a journey and wants to prune us and wants to do stuff with us, we need to go and get permission from safety, just like we need to get permission from lack. And it stops the processes of the Father working through our lives. So I just want us to be aware of that. It's very, very powerful that we need to. And what we do, like I said, is we end up labeling the sphere as wisdom because that sounds more spiritual. But at its root, there's no wisdom about it at all. It's fear. The fourth thing that, that really stops us is a, is an, I'm gonna just, it's a broad term, but it's a, a need for significance. It's a need to be important, a need to get ahead, a need to walk into the call of God in my life, There's to be what God's called me to be. I've got to do this thing. I've got to be there. And it's all of those things start with an I or a me, not a he. What is he doing? What does he want from me? And so when you, and especially I want to say to the young guys, if you're under 40, and I call young guys under 40, this Somehow in God, he, he changes things as you get older. When you're young and you're making your mark in life, you're trying to find your zone and you're pressing it and you're grabbing and you're trying to do your thing. And this is the thing. Whatever you grab, you've got to hold on to. But whatever he gives you, nobody can take away. And so the things that you grab, it takes energy and then when we hold it, and the Father wants to come and prune, and we're not flipping letting this thing go because it means too much to me. 
I didn't get here to let this thing go. I paid a price to do what I'm doing. No one's taking this away from me. And so we stop, we disallow the father to prune in that realm. And at its very core, the, the, the mindset that you've got to go and get and make happen is essentially an orphan mindset. It's like, no one's going to do this for me. I don't trust my father to do this for me, so I'm going to go and do it for myself. It's like an, un, an ambition that hasn't been settled by the presence of God. And it's like, I've got to make this happen. I need it. And when we're doing that, that becomes an idol as well. And all of these things just stop us, walk, um, stop us walking, allowing God to deal with us and to process And this is the truth, is that all these things, you know, whether it's the fear of lack, fear of our safety, this need for significance, all of these things are really when we step out of our realm and we try and be God in our lives. We try and do the things that the Father wants to do for us, that the Father knows better that he wants to do for us. We're trying to do that. We're trying to get promotion. We're trying to keep ourselves safe. We're trying to bring increase. We're trying to do all these things. And like, it doesn't work because that becomes nothing. And we need something. We need something that is gold, that, the, that is, that is rec- the things that we do need to be recognized as currency in heaven. Not Zimbabwe dollars when we get to heaven. And it looks good now, but it's good for nothing. And so what I want to do is I want to create a moment. Craig, would you mind coming up and just just create a moment? Because this is not a ministry moment. This is not a, a space where you get someone to pray for you and to fix, fix things or to presence of God to come. This is a moment between you and God. I want to invite you on a journey. Maybe some of you are already on the journey and that's, that's beautiful, but I want to invite you to come on a journey as I've been with my father and allowing him to prune me, allowing him to set me up for success, allowing him to do things in my life that make me more fruitful. And I think the only way to get there is, is to surrender. All the things that you're fighting for, the, the outcomes that you're trying to establish in your life, the things you're going for, I want to say you need to surrender those. And perhaps the, the, the way to do it is surrender the outcomes of the things that you're fighting for. Because if you're fighting for them, you've stopped, you've disqualified the father from coming in and operating in that realm. Because you've taken ownership of it. And he's, he's saying, I want to work with you. I want to deal with you. I want to make you fruitful. I want to delight in you. And I want your joy to be complete. Because the way you're going about it does not lead to joy. It leads to burnout and pain. 
and devastation at the end, disappointment. I know people, I know a man that for 30 years served God, but he didn't yield, he didn't submit, and after 30 years he walked away from ministry with nothing. And he loved Jesus, but he didn't yield. The Father doesn't want that in your lives. He wants fruitfulness, he wants joy. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes where you are. And I'm going to invite you, if as I've been speaking, things have been coming to mind, things that you haven't settled, things that you haven't let go of, outcomes that you're still fighting for. Just close your eyes and say, Father, today, I'm saying no more to myself in that area. I'm handing that to you. I want to journey with you. I want to journey with you. I want to walk with you. I want to become what you have created me to become. And that starts with surrender and it starts with a journey. And today, I want a journey. So just hand it over to him right now. Father, this thing that I've been contending, this thing that I've taken ownership of, that's not mine, I give to you right now, I give the outcome to you, and I open my hand. So just open your hand and let it go. So Father, prophetically, as I open my hand and let this go, it's yours. It's yours. I want to trust you. I want fruit that is something, not fruit that is nothing. I want, I want your joy inside me so that my joy is complete. I want to bring glory to the Father. And all these things happen by me surrendering. So I surrender the outcome today. In Jesus' name.